I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com slash podcasts. Thanks for your support. I'm John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. And the last time I was in Austin was in 2015, and after a long few days of drinking beer, doing interviews, and generally getting my fill of the city, I intentionally carved out some hours on my last day there, before my flight home, to visit with Jeffrey Stuffings of Jester King. I wanted to leave on a high note, and that visit, along with the interview I'm going to play for you in just a moment, that we recorded last week, did not disappoint. And I'll tell you more about it in a moment. But first, I'm happy to say that this episode is brought to you by Kodo Design, a craft beer branding firm and authors of the new book, Craft Beer Rebranded. Craft Beer Rebranded and its companion workbook are a step-by-step guide to mapping out a successful strategy for rebranding your brewery. Based on Kodo's decade of brewing branding expertise, this two-book bundle will help you weigh your brand equity, develop your brand strategy, and breathe new life into your brand. Whether your brewery is three years old or 30, Craft Beer Rebranded is your guide to attracting new audiences, selling more beer, and positioning your brand for the long haul. Learn more and buy your copy today at craftbeerrebranded.com. Welcome to the show, and I'm really happy to bring you this conversation I recorded last week just before the Memorial Day weekend started. I talked with Jeffrey Stuffings, the founder of Jester King, the farmhouse brewery on the outskirts of Austin, Texas. The brewery is the stuff of legend by many drinkers and was driven to heights of popularity thanks to the wild and spontaneous beer that Stuffings and his brewers have produced throughout the years. And as good as the beers are, it's also an idyllic place to visit, like I experienced in 2015 when I arrived mid-morning and spent a few hours talking with Stuffings, pulling nails, and tasting through whatever he deemed ready to drink. It was quiet and peaceful, and the space lent itself to conversation. We got so carried away that I almost missed my flight home, and it would have been worth it. The brewery is quiet again these days. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the brewery has largely been closed, but as you'll hear, it's getting ready to reopen. And when it does, things will look and feel different. And maybe that's in line with all that's going on with the brewery as it heads into a new phase of its life. Stuffings has released a Pilsner, yes, a clean fermented beer, and he's candid about why, and it signals a mature attitude of a brewery that has always valued maturation. There's a wine program in the works and a renewed sense of experimentation, thanks to a little downtime, but also because of the kitchen operating at the brewery. Stuffing explains it all while talking to me from his brewery in Texas, and I started off by asking him what we can all expect when the brewery reopens. Here's our conversation. We're basically taking our old model that was kind of, you know, come one, come all, no, no need to you know book a visit or anything just show up and you know we would say internally that we were doing essentially you know a mini beer festival every weekend at, at jester king because how big um, is your property it's uh, all together it's 165 acres um <laughs> of which uh of which uh really only like um i would say you know uh 25 uh, or so are kind of you know currently accessible to um, the public. Um, so we're, we're changing that and, and, you know, kind of a secondary piece of, you know, our plans reopening is, um, to actually, you know, open up, uh, trails throughout the, the property. Our farmer, um, uh, Pepe, uh, Sean Pepe Myers, um, he's, and my brother, Michael, uh, he's Jessica's King's co-founder is, uh, are building a, a two mile, two mile, uh, nature trail throughout the, that acreage, um, to, essentially give people an avenue to um you know come out to jester king and then also kind of enjoy the outdoors and you know remain appropriately spaced while they're in uh nature um so that's kind of a a component of of what's going to be new as far as kind of the had um, that had that ever actually been part of the plan like to have a nature trail or is that something that's been born out of covid i would say that's been born out of 
COVID. We do have a, a, a half mile farm loop, which goes through our vineyard, hop yard, uh, and goats. Um, um, so, you know, we have like a, you know, had a relative of it, but like a full, you know, trail that goes throughout the, the whole property that, that was, was indeed born out of, out of COVID. So, and I, and then I interrupted you to ask you that question. So you're saying what else you guys were going to be doing? Yes. So, um, so we're, we're, you know, I, I, you know, kind of teed that up by, by referring to what, what has been, what has been the, the, the past and it's going to be, I think quite a departure from the past. We'll be going from again, you know, just kind of like beer festival and beer hall seating, uh, type of an, an environment to, um, a reservation system. Um, we've, we're creating, we're almost, we're almost ready to go. We, we uh, but we've created about like five different like areas, uh, spread out throughout the, the property. Some, you know, fairly close into our restaurant and brewery, uh, some like literally like, you know, half a mile away, um, where, um, you know, for instance, we've set up like a little seating area with, you know, well-spaced tables under live oak trees, like in our vineyard, uh, in our hop yard, uh, near our goat pen, um, in uh, kind of the beer garden area off the, the patio of the brewery, and in this little like kind of tree-covered canopy area that has good shade for the summer. Um, so all outdoor seating. Um, yeah, the, the patio and, and uh, beer hall uh, that we used in the past, we've completely removed seating from. Um, and it's going to be... Um, uh, a reservation system. Uh, we're going to still just be open the same days uh, to the public, uh, Thursday through Sunday, but we're going to do sessions. Um, you know, for instance, like on Saturday, we're going to do like three sessions, like noon to two, uh, then break for an hour, totally clean down, sanitize everything. Um, and then, you know, at um, uh, four o'clock, uh, the next session will open. You know, we do the four o'clock reservations another hard close, you know, everyone has to leave, coat totally clean and sanitize everything again. And then like the final session of the day, like the, the dinner time session will, will come in. And um, so, uh, yeah, breaking up the sessions by reservation only, um, having people... Um, reservations you have to make in advance. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, we're not well, going to have any... That's how reservations work. But yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah. but you're not going to encourage somebody to like show up and say... Uh, hey, do you have any space for us right now? It's it's going to be more plan your visit ahead of time. Precisely, okay. yes. And um, you know, we've been pretty. I mean, not we're not we're opposed to technology, but I mean, we've been really very low tech for forever out here. It seems, and now it's going to be you know quite the opposite. You'll uh, book online. You'll select your 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 table online. Um, when you show up, uh, we'll be, we've, you know, reconfigured our parking lot. So there's like one common entry point. Cause it used to be like, you know, basically come in from any direction you want. It's all yeah. open. And so now we're having it, you know, you have to go to the host. The host will show you exactly, you know, where to go to, to your table. Uh, every table will have QC codes. Um, uh, wait, is it QR? Q- God damn it. Anyway, the you know, little box. QRs. Scan. Yeah. QRs. Thank you. Um, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I've... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, I, uh, yeah. Yes. I'll do some creative uh, editing so we sound really smart afterwards about this. Okay. <laughs> if I figure out how to do creative editing. So this is probably just going to stay in. But anyway, right, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I'm not embarrassed by that. <laughs> so uh, you scan the code and then it pulls up um, a menu on your phone. Uh, you place the menu online. Um, you'll get a text when your food and drink are, are ready. Um, you'll go to one of two designated pickup spots um, and then, you know, take your, your food to your, your table. Um, and then uh, we, we're going to be asking everyone that uh, they stay at their tables. Um, you know, if they want to take the nature trail, that, that that's fine. But otherwise, you know, not not, you know, mix with other folks, just to stay with your party at your table. Um and, uh, you know, we're asking that everyone uh, wear masks, uh, except when they're, you know, at their table and eating and drinking. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, then the curbside uh, will still still be open. So, you know, for, um, you know, understandably for folks who would prefer, uh, you know, not to uh, engage in the setup that we're creating, um, they can still go through our contactless uh, curbside pickup. Yeah. 
I wonder as like you're obviously doing this for the right business reasons and obviously for for health reasons for everybody involved not only the customers but also you know your staff and your and yourself and everything how do you feel going into this? Because you have built up this culture in the last few few years, and you know it, it, it sort of breweries being known for like a certain vibe and being able to spread out and you know walk around and mingle like that's sort of like the charm of of, of visiting your brewery. Um, have you started to sort of reconcile that it has to be different now? Yes, I, I would say you know I've uh, you know went through uh, the, the kind of the, the stage of. Uh, you know, disbelief. Um, and I'm kind of, you know, well, well past that now that was kind of more like March, April. Uh, but you know, now, um, you know, I feel pretty, pretty motivated and, and, and you know, feel good about this new direction. I mean, I guess because, you know, you know, slightly philosophical, I mean, because beer is such a social beverage and, you know, because, you know, Jester King and, and, and just tap rooms across the world are, places for community and community gathering you know i my hope is that um you know we can kind of start start to reemerge where you can kind of maybe go out with your family and friends again and you know maybe uh uh well that's you know certainly by no means a, a bad thing um uh you know it may not be where we can kind of meet new people and, and mingle and you know be, be social uh quite yet but I, I see this as kind of like a step in the right direction where you know we can start to go out again with, you know, again, family, uh, you know, friends we're close to. Um, and then from there, my hope would be by, you know, 2021, uh, and, and granted, no one truly knows how this is going to play out, but my hope would be like, if we were to talk a year from now, we're starting to get to a place where, you know, the, uh, whether it's a vaccine or therapeutic treatments or, you know, hopefully the disease doesn't you know mutate in a bad direction, you know, through one of those things or a combination thereof, we're able to start to, um, if not have like mass gatherings, at least like, you know, uh, we don't need to you know, ask that you like strictly stay at your, your table. I mean, we're totally prepared to do that for, if, if that's what we need to for, for, for public health. But yeah. my hope is that, you know, by sometime next year, we can start to move away from that. That's just wishful thinking. I mean, uh, I have no evidence to support that, but I mean, that's just my hope. Yeah, no, and that and that makes total sense. As, as you've been reworking this plan and sort of adjusting to the new normal, uh, I know you're doing clean fermentations now, and I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But um, for your core beers and and the other beers that 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 you're known for that that take time, um, and that you know, I know you put a lot of thought into and uh, making sure that they're released when they're ready and. Uh, has that aspect of the business been impacted or have you still been able to put your focus on the beer while you're also, you know, focused on this new reality and, you know, changing up the very nature of the business there? I would say from a creative standpoint that uh, the pandemic has not uh, been uh, a big hit to what we we do. I, I feel like as brewers, we still get to be experimental and creative um, in some ways, because we're so focused on, you know, the to-go business and distribution uh, as we ha- you know, have been in the past that um, to some extent, it's, it feels like every beer we make now is kind of like a, a, a one-off uh, because we're not so much brewing for our, our tap room. You know, before it might've been like, let's make sure we have, you know, Petit Prince, our table beer and, you know, um, Noble King, our hoppy farmhouse and, uh, um, you know, maybe one of the, you know, um, oh, uh, farmhouse lager beers, something mm-hmm. like that, that are just really just easy drinking, you know, relatively low to medium strength beers for our tap room. Um, like those just aren't getting brewed right now. Cause, uh, cause, cause we, there's no tap room audience. Yeah. There's no tap room audience. Um, it doesn't make much sense to put, uh, hardly any beer in, in kegs. Um, so I find that, yeah, we're kind of gravitating towards like, uh, you know, projects that are either kind of new creations that we thought of or just ones that we kind of had in our back pocket that we're like, oh, let's let's finally try this idea. Um, so in a way, oddly enough, it almost kind of feels like like back in my homebrew days when it's just kind of like brew whatever you want that you think would be cool. Um, so that's kind of how we're operating 
now. Um, there's some brewing, freedom. There's some freedom in that. Yeah, there is. It's been. I mean, strictly you know, just putting you know the narrow binders of just like beer creativity on. Yeah, it has been. Um, you know, up, up, uplifting just to kind of just whatever it is that we. And granted, we're still since still in the context of it has to, you know, has to be sellable. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I mean, you know, once you get over that hurdle, um, yeah, it has been from like, again, strictly a creative standpoint, it, it has been an interesting, you know, a, a, you know, fun, if you will, time uh, for, for that. Um, and then, um, yeah, uh, I would say we're brewing less, uh, you know, without the tap room there. Um, I would say we're, you know, on, we don't, we don't do a lot of beer to begin with, you know, somewhere between you know, 2,000 and 2,500 barrels, but we'll probably brew, brew uh, less this year because uh, there's this less outlet for our beer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Distro, thankfully, hasn't just, like, collapsed. Um, it has, in our case, you know, declined, but not as much as we thought it would, where, um, you know, we're still still brewing, like, maybe once or twice a week, where in the past it might have been, like, two or three times per week. So, a little less brewing, certainly, you know, a lot more bottling. And now, um, now that we've, you know, gotten into to clean fermentations and canning as well, you know, more, more packaging of our beer than we've ever done before. Um, one thing that was really nice, um, you know, both from a business and environmental standpoint was, you know, because of this, the, I think the rise of tap rooms and, you know, Jester King's success as a onsite uh, place to visit and enjoy people and beer, um, we're, we're kegging more beer than we ever had before. Um, and you know, now it's, yeah, maybe one or two kegs just to fill some crawlers to go hmm. each batch. So you mentioned clean ferment and I know we've started to see a rise in the number of breweries like yours that have been you know, known for spontaneous, known for wild and, uh, have really elevated you know, that part of, of, beer styles and, 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 and beer drinking, um, switch to clean beers or, or add clean beers, I guess, to their repertoire. Um, what prompted you to start to do that? What was the, what was the impetus behind that? So I think, um, uh, probably the biggest, uh, proponent was, and you know, I try to be very transparent, uh, about these things. Um, you know, we had seen really kind of a decline in the popularity and sales of, our wild ales, um, large format, uh, beers. Um, I would say that probably around like 2017, uh, we started to see like a little bit of a dip. Um, this is, you know, partially based on sales and just partially based on like more anecdotal things like just, you know, whether it be like online social media reaction or people showing up for releases, um, definitely started to see a little bit of a, a slide, that I would say by no means has like become a roller coaster, um, you know, has been kind of a gradual slide of the category from our perspective over the last three to three and a half ish years. And so that's one factor that has led us to diversify. Um, another factor, and I think these kind of go hand in hand or, or maybe even are the same thing, just in, in different, different way. Um, we've seen our business go from, uh, you know, bottle releases where it's like, hey, show up for this release. You know, we get this big influx of people, beer sells out in four hours, and then, you know, it's kind of mellow for the next, you know, week or two. And then there's the next release and the next, like, you know, kind of explosion of, you know, interest and sales. And then, you know, kind of these, these kind of uh, big kind of like spikes where we found um, our business these days is more kind of, you know, kind of constant, you could argue more sustainable. And I'm talking pre-pandemic believe me yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but you know um you know kind of this more steady arguably sustainable uh kind of uh stream of on-site sales uh coupled with our restaurant coupled with you know again more draft beer being sold um less hype less whales less releases um but more just kind of like hey this is a place to enjoy community and you know quality food and drink um and, um, and along those lines, because we've seen our business become, I would say, less reliant on, you know, beer geeks, beer, beer traders, the, you know, the trading network, 
um, that, um, you know, we've, uh, and more, more disoriented around like our, our local community, uh, where I feel like, you know, what I kind of truly hope, uh, at least an aspect of Jester King's legacy is to be just like a really thoughtfully put together place for the public to, to enjoy friends and family and community, um, that, uh, you know, making beers that, you know, kind of for the people, you know, in our backyard, like, you know, um, you know, beer geeks all over the country might be after certain releases, but I mean, the person down the street from us maybe just wants like a, you know, a Hellas or, or something like that. And, um, so, uh, that would, that's, that's really the, the motivation, um, in a nutshell. Um, what I, what I think is kind of secondarily fun uh, from a brewing perspective is, um, getting kind of back to, you know, my at least amateur roots where, you know, I didn't start off at least as a home brewer making, you know, just wild ales, you know, I made a lot of different types of beers. Um, and so getting to kind of do that for the, uh, practically the first time, technically we did brew a couple clean ferments when we were early on, but, uh, but, but for all intents and purposes, you know, getting to like now finally kind of do some pure culture fermentations on a professional scale has kind of been, you know, and again, I'm not hiding the fact that there was like an economic reason for, for doing that, but, yeah. you know, by the same token, it's been kind of fun to create with more intention uh, than ever before, where in the past, you know, I think it's very, very accurate to say like what the beer is like a partnership with nature where, you know, you're just kind of responding to nature and nature's responding to you. And now it's more, you know, controlling to a degree, you know, controlling nature uh, and creating more intentionally. And, you know, that's been, that's been fun. Um, you know, it's been fun to make, you know, lagers and hoppy beers. And so, yeah, um, I'm, but, I'm enjoying it. But I mean, you've been, you were so thoughtful and, and still are with your approach to the wild spontaneous and, you know, the beers that you became known for and sought after and celebrated for so, so early on. Um, I can't imagine that you just casually jumped in you know, to these clean ferments and to these lagers. Like, obviously, you know, for the economic standpoint, like, you want to, you know, make sure that things stand out. But the area of the state where you're in already has a lot of really great lager producers, um, you know, yes. folks folks who have been known to it. So when you were starting to think about what you wanted your beer's representation to be in that field, where'd you start and where'd you wind up? Yeah, um, I, I, I feel... Uh... Yeah, I'm grateful you asked that because we have taken, uh, you know, within the context of you know pure culture fermentation and you know brewing classic styles, have taken a, an approach that I think is still in line with our philosophy. Granted, you know, a huge part of philosophy is you know, wild fermentation and microbial terroir and, and you know indigenous yeast, uh, which is definitely not the the, the, the case with our uh, pure culture ferments, <laughs> uh, but. Um, you know, for instance, like with our loggers, we're still, uh, you know, we, um, well, we are, you know, uh, softening our water. Um, we are still, you know, using, um, you know, like a 80-20 blend of, of well water. So I think the minerality of our water is still carrying through. Um, and then, you know, the support of local agriculture um, is still, is still there. Uh, for instance, you know, uh, the logger that we're working on right now, we haven't released it yet, you know, it's, uh, but this is indicative of what we've done so far, you know, it's the base malt is, uh, you know, uh, Whitehorn Pilsner from Blacklands Malt, which is our local maltster, yeah. uh, Texas, Texas grown and malted. And then we're um, uh, going to be, you know, step mashing some uh, Oaxacan green corn from, you know, Barton Springs Mill, our local miller right down the street from us. Um and so, yeah, we're still, you know, intent on doing, using ingredients that are reflective of our environment and then, uh, you know, supporting local agriculture and what we do. So, you know, not that there's anything wrong with this. Like we're not trying to, you know, clone, you know, uh, Bavaria, you know, we're, right. we're trying to, you know, uh, and this is true with, with wild beer too, uh, even though I think, you know, the uniqueness is so driven to the, the, the microbes, which again, you know, we're, we're not uh have don't have at our, our disposal here um but but yeah i mean just uh, really harnessing what's around us to, to still make beer so i think there's still a degree of of kind of sense of place or terroir to some of these uh loggers um and, and to a lesser extent ipas i mean you know the the ipas we've made i mean yes it's still local malt but i mean the hop character is just so overwhelming that i i, I have a hard time 
getting more kind of sense of place out of those beers, but at least we're still supporting local agriculture. Yeah. So when, cause I haven't had a chance to try, uh, your, your lagers yet, but is, is there, is there a style that you think it sort of fits into or is it really just, I don't know, is it central Texas lager? Yeah, I would say that's still kind of, uh, being defined or, or maybe not even ultimately. Do you want it to find I mean, it? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, in this find, case, yeah. uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely, you know, having been through, um, you know, uh, and, and believe me, it was, it was self-inflicted, like having been through like some of the kind of terminology wars before, uh, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> you brought, you brought some of those on yourself though with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the spontaneous uh, you know, guild. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, uh, I'm totally content to, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is a, uh, this is a Hellas and, you know, here's how we made it. And, you know, uh, you know, my brother, you know, who's the rock climber, he always says like, how you get to the mountain doesn't matter. Just being honest about how you got there or getting to the top of the mountain doesn't matter. It's, it's you know, being transparent about how you get there. And that's kind of the philosophy we've taken. It's like, you know, uh, let's just, just tell people exactly what this is, you know, what our intent is, and then obviously try to make you know, good drinkable beer. Do you think we've gotten too bogged down or conversely too far away from styles and trying to prescribe too much meaning or too much description as to, to, to what a beer is to make it too neatly fit into a box or do we need to rein it back in a little bit in certain cases? Yeah, I, I'm relatively comfortable with kind of that, that, uh, you know, I remember getting into, you know, beer as a home brewer and it seemed like at the time, you know, this is like about 15 ish years ago. It seemed like there was kind of, you know, that kind of Garrett Oliver, Sam Calgione debate versus like, you know, just total freedom and art- artistry versus like, you know, there's still still styles like you should, you know. Uh, and, and I think that was some some extent kind of a false dichotomy or, you know, kind of a rivalry that, that didn't maybe have true substance behind it. But nonetheless, I remember like that was kind of like, I remember the debate like getting into to beer at the time. And um, I mean, personally, I don't know, I, I feel like, um, there's enough kind of, I, don't know, I think more like just identifying the tradition that, you know, you're kind of riffing off of is important. Um, you know, I, we try to explain like where our inspirations come from and maybe there was a historical style, which, you know, was of course created out of necessity. Um, and, you know, as you know, global commerce and, 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 uh, uh, just the ease of making beer has gotten precipitously better over the centuries. Um, I think it's hard for, you know, kind of localities to develop like true styles that can kind of are just made part and parcel out of that that place because of necessity. So um, I don't know. I feel like I'm dancing around your question. And I'm, that's not my intent. No, no, I, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's never I don't feel limited or or restricted. Um, and I find I, I find styles helpful. Um, I, I maybe I, I am a person who likes when brewers not like write me a essay but at least like you know explain like we kind of did a riff on this style and we you know use this technique and and these ingredients and this process and here's why we did it where um you know we're not brewing style per se but i can at least identify like what you're riffing off of um you know draw a musical analogy i mean you know uh this is you know we're doing a riff on like you know prog metal or something i mean you know just like whatever it may maybe just to kind of have a kind of a reference point to start from I, I do find helpful um and i don't think styles are in any way limiting in creativity um if anything i think getting into brewing you know they give you a mark to aim for and kind of you know judge your initial learning off of and then you know once you obtain competence in an area you can start you know kind of adding flourishes to it and it Riffing kind of builds from, from there. there yeah yeah so earlier you mentioned um, harnessing what's around you, and you've obviously made uh, a lot of beers, and and you focus on a lot of locally grown ingredients. And I guess we're headed into, you know, the beginning of fruit season, as it were, and continuing for the for the for the next couple of months. Um, what do you look forward to when it starts to come to 
the harvest and you know are you looking to add new flavors this year are you looking to you know to work with new folks or uh brew with ingredients that or age with ingredients that 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 you haven't before yes um we're kind of always on the look for for different sources of fermentable sugar that you know occur naturally and and have a connection to agriculture um and then you know for the vast majority of fruit you know we're using you know introduce it to naturally occurring yeast and bacteria and seeing what happens um you know fermenting fermenting grains is you know of course super interesting and, and and i love that but uh i honestly you know get more excited about fermenting fruit really or at least like grains in conjunction with fruit um you know, I just find the results uh, to be often quite just, just fascinating of what they produce and just kind of the, the somewhat random nature of, of um, what what ends up we get to experience, whether it be in a barrel or a blend uh, every year. And so kind of just seeing like, you know, all these variables, whether it was, uh, you know, the, for instance, like we have, you know, peach season coming up and, you know, we had a pretty mild winter but then didn't did have a late freeze and so i'm like curious like how how that's going to impact the character of the peaches this year which is going to ultimately impact the character of our of our beer um you know as i've started paying attention more to um you know clean beers it, it just seems in a way slightly disappointing of just like how um just like it's okay you add this this puree this aseptic puree to you know this beer it just seems very formulaic and um and i don't mean to knock that it's not like these beers are bad but but i don't know it's just something so much more interesting and magical and fun and enjoyable i think of just using like real fruit um yeah i mean i've started to uh i don't know now that we have a chef on site at jester king his name's damian brockway like now that uh, i've gotten to you know work not you know, with, cause I'm, you know, I don't cook, but, but, you know, uh, but, but, you know, as alongside a, a chef, it's been kind of interesting to see how, you know, he approaches his menu where I find myself actually like going through the same, you know, uh, uh, you know, vendor lists that pop up every week from our, from our, you know, local purveyors and kind of scanning it and, uh, you know, seeing, Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. I, oh, I didn't even know that, you know, uh, that, that would, yeah, that was in season or I didn't know I could get that around here. And, you know, then writing recipes around around that has been a lot of fun. What, what's a good um, example of something that you've done like that recently? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, here's I mean, here's a, a weird one, and we haven't released this beer yet, but like like Malabar spinach berries, like uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I never, you know, I never heard of that before, and uh, um, and we'll see. Uh, you know, what what are they? There are these just like intensely um, uh, purple berries that um, kind of look like a darker shade of kind of like dragon fruit. And um, they have, you know, both uh, culinary, but also uh, like textile uses as, you know, they've been historically used as like a dye for, for clothing. And um, I mean, they're, speaking of dragon fruit, they kind of remind me of dragon fruit of the sense that like the aromatics aren't that awesome but they impart like really cool like texture and mouthfeel and then of course you know like a stunning color so i mean that's just like something i never would have even you know uncovered before had i not kind of started to think like a chef a little bit more in terms of of uh of our, our beer making um so yeah just i've just been a little bit more in tune to what what is happening uh, around us and um and that's kind of translated into new new ideas. Um, and then also, um, you know, as I've gotten kind of into, you know, again, kind of letting clean beer making kind of loop back around influence the wild fermentation, you know, I've paid more attention to, uh, hops than I really had ever in a long while, not so much aged hops, but, but, but fresh hops for sure. Yeah. And, you know, you, you taste your hop character in some of these clean beers and then you think, Oh my gosh, I think, you know, I have at least maybe a sense of how it's going to translate in a wild ferment where all of a sudden I find like we're adding like hops to wild beers that we like never really even considered before and kind of taking some of like the like fresh fruit characters from from uh, clean beers and kind of letting it like turn into like over ripened funky fruit. That's just like like almost like 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 durian fruit levels of funk, which uh, 
I don't know, I think are, are really cool. So, um, yeah, just kind of using, you know, uh, the, the knowledge I've gained to, you know, actually in making, you know, a few IPAs now and then taking that right back to wild fermentation. So I think in a sense, it's, it's kind of informing what we do on the wild front as well. And I think making it at least parts of it better. That sounds like a fun evolution, though, of, you know, it, it's you're obviously you know, trying to do things that are smart for the business with with some of the clean ferment. But it's also informing you on or helping you on the stuff that you've long been passionate and, and, and sort of known for. Um I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just sort of curious about like the evolution and like how you continue to see or even how you hope the brewery might continue to you know, change it up and stay current. Cause I mean, you sound jazzed when you're talking about this, like you're not just making, you know, the same old recipes day in and day out delicious as they may be. Um, but it sounds like you're really you know, giving your brain a workout when you're, you're creating these days. No, that, 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 that's right. I mean, um, you know, on the, um, on the, you know, the, the, the clean fronts being able to, you know, again, kind of, and I mean, this has been something that we're approximately, you know, we started right around, you know, October in earnest, really trying to, uh, you know, do pure culture fermentation and execute it well. So, you know, we're roughly like seven months into this process and, um, you know, we're kind of feel like, you know, when it comes to making, you know, just like a solid Hellas, a solid, you know, Czech pills or German pills, like we kind of have our sea legs on, on that front or making like, you know, a respectable pale ale, respectable IPA. Like we kind of feel like we've managed to pull it off on a, you know, production level now where, um, you know, we can be a little bit more experimental. And, um, yeah, as I was saying before, just in, in, uh, just, I don't know, I, I find kind of reinvigorated from the standpoint of, you know, doing new things. And then all of a sudden, you know, creating all these clean beer recipes, it was like, well, I kind of want to, you know, take a look at like Das Wunderkind, like our blended Saison. And I'm like, well, I don't know, some of these hops I think could, could totally improve uh, uh, the recipe and, and fermentation for, for that. And, uh, you know, some of these, you know, in my kind of frustration with like not wanting to work with like, you know, aseptic purees, it's had me kind of looking out there of like, what could we process, you know, locally for like clean beers that would work relatively well. And like through that search of like started to discover, you know, new things around us that, you know, I probably wasn't looking as, as closely to at before. Um, and then just, of course, like just the, uh, I don't know, I, I, we got so focused on, you know, spontaneous fermentation and wild fermentation that, you know, as we've kind of been at a necessity, which I, you know, which I try to be transparent about, if I had to grow, um, I don't know, it's kind of forced us to kind of like look at new avenues of experimentation and, um, so I don't know if that, that's all that coherent of what, what I'm saying, but uh, I would just say it's, it, 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 you know, to your point, it, it has been just a fun, exciting time, I think, here at Jester King Brewing, brewing Beer. And you're branching off into wine now as well. Or you're planning on branching off into wine. You know, uh, I, yes. I mean, yes. It, it's interesting because I, I, I know for a, a long time brewers were focused on you know, if they were going to expand, uh, it was probably going into spirits first. Uh, there weren't a lot of breweries that were also doing doing wine. Um, you know, we're starting to see, I guess, more and more of it these days. And uh, was that I, I, obviously it's something that you're passionate about if you're doing it. Um, but is it also just, you know, I, do you think it's changing consumer preferences as well that there are so many cross drinkers out there that you can try to appeal to a larger swath of people? What was the Yes. Whereas making clear, clean beers, you know, as I mentioned, uh, was, was, I would say at least, at least in large part, um, you know, driven by, you know, changing consumer preferences, uh, our decision to pursue wine, um, was, was not based on that. We've had a long, long time desire to make wine. It's just, it just was illegal until uh, September. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's really deregulation that's allowed us to go forward on that. I mean, were yeah, you champing I mean, at the bit for for a long time on this, though? Yes, uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I you know, ever since we really got into fruit refermentation in beer uh, around 2012, um, that you know, just it's such a close parallel. I mean, essentially, in many ways, we like practically are creating wine. We're using you know similar techniques, similar ingredients, uh, similar processes, equipment. Um, the language we speak, I feel 
um, really translates through and talking to, to winemakers. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I feel maybe up until this point, since I've gotten more into, you know, clean fermentation, but, but up until that point, I, I, I typically feel way more in common and camaraderie even with, with winemakers than, than even brewers necessarily. Um, so, really? it, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, I, I go out to, you know, for instance, you know, like South Hold or Cruz de Kamal, like my, uh, you know, two, two wineries close to us in the hill country that I think are just you know, doing amazing, amazing, uh, wines, uh, just really, really low intervention, minimal intervention wines. And, um, and they, and yeah, we would essentially speak the same language of just, you know, just waiting for the fruit to mature using indigenous yeast, uh, you know, fermenting the juice spontaneously, you know, letting it mature, creating a blend, um, you know, re-fermenting it, uh, in, in some cases always for us, but, you know, in some cases for them. So, I mean, our processes are essentially like the same and I don't know, that just created a real close kinship, uh, versus, you know, uh, I don't know. I feel, feel like this is probably a little, I don't know, shitty in my part, but I feel like <laughs> so much, so, so much of brewing is almost just almost like kind of paint by number. Like here's our, like here you have, you know, 32 crayons to play with. You must select one, uh, for this malt and then hops and then yeast. And it's like, just basically like different variations of a pretty limited palette where, you know, you start getting into using, truly using, you know, uh, non-commoditized agriculture like local agriculture and then throw wild fermentation on top of it and you're talking about like a, a different ball game really and you know we'd meet on winemakers and like we're speaking the same language like we don't have to explain it to them like they, they get it and um we kind of feel like we're part of the same movement uh, where we've not always felt that camaraderie with other other brewers hmm. um so um yeah we just feel like we don't feel like interlopers like coming into uh well we haven't gotten there yet so i don't want to speak too soon but like i don't feel like an interloper going to make wine i feel it's just like a natural extension of what we've done for nearly a decade um we're making you know lockers it's like you know um we, we we're coming into this with like zero pretension you know we're gonna try to you know make quality but like we're the first to say like you know we we are, we're, we're the new kids on the block on this. Like we're not claiming any type of gravitas or, you know, we, we're going to earn every ounce of respect we get with these, these styles because we're, you know, we are new to them. Um, where again, I'm kind of repeating myself with wine. I mean, yeah, we'll have something to prove for sure, but I don't feel like we're entering into really anything all that new. Yeah. But, but it is such a, I, I mean, there are difference in consumers you know i had a uh, mitch uh, erdemanger from speciation on uh, the show a couple weeks ago and he was talking about some of the the natural wines that he's doing right now and the reaction that he's gotten a few times that he's gone to to wine festivals and you know granted he's doing you know wines and spirit barrels and things like that that are a little bit weird but you know in in the beer world he's making you know amazing things and has uh, a, a pretty strong following when you go into a whole other arena even if you are speaking the language with with the other winemakers you know if the if if the consumers don't know you you know i i guess that's got to be it, it, and it's almost like starting from zero again. Like you're not just like, you know, hey, we're we're Jester King. We're a brewery that, you know, a lot of people know and a lot of people like and, you know, people trade us all over the world kind of thing. It's that doesn't necessarily mean anything in in their world. That is true. And that's a good point. And I am I mean, I'm kind of as far as you know, having the ability to see these wines uh, kind of, well, let's just say sell or have a following. Um, I would say a couple things on that front, like we're going to be starting pretty small. Um, you know, we're planning on making probably like 250 cases this, this for 2020, depending on how the harvest goes. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to really project out with so much uncertainty right now, but, you know, assuming, you know, the, the year will come that, that you know, uh, you know, uh, the threat subsides and, you know, we can comfortably, you know, uh, gather uh, in large numbers. Again, I'm confident that, you know, Jester King as a tap room will be able to uh, support that. We already sell a lot of guest wine uh, as it is. Hmm. Um, and then I also think, you know, with beer geeks, there are hugely, maybe not like with IPAs and stouts, but, but at least there is this like hugely committed following of, you know, 
fruit re-fermented lambic and wild ale appreciators that I think, I think the, the, the messaging can be, can hit home that like, this is just kind of, um, you know, closely associated with, with these, 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 you know, beer wine hybrids that we've been making for, for a number of years, um, where I think people will geek out about it. Um, and then, you know, similar to Mitch, I mean, we're going to try to keep it fun too. I mean, um, we'll probably stick to neutral oak, um, for, or probably, probably more like stainless, you know, I just, I mean, the first wines we want to make, we're just going to just make them, uh, just fruit forward, you know, just kind of, you know, as, as we've joked, you know, kind of like, like stanky country wine. We're just going to, you know, just, you know, just like, (laughs) I don't necessarily know what that means, but I kind of like the imagery of it. Yeah. 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 I mean, just like do a field blend and just, you know, uh, you know, just, just, throw the whole clusters in a, in a tote, you know, foot stomp them and just let it go. And then once it ferments out to dryness and, you know, give it a couple extra months just to kind of figure itself out and become integrated. Then at that point, just, you know, bottle it up or, or re-ferment it where, you know, there's not going to be a ton of oak aging. You know, we're not trying to at all kind of, uh, you know, here's, you know, here's, here's our Pinot, here's our Cab Franc, you know, that we're not going to be, it's just going to be like, here, here's a bunch of berries from, the hill country and, and then eventually like some berries from, you know, uh, I should call them grapes, not berries, but, but you get my point here, you know, here, 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 here's some fruit from, uh, uh, you know, our, our own vineyard that, you know, just, we're just going to let go through this funky, weird blend. And, um, you know, if you, if you dig it cool, if you don't, you know, we've got guest wines to drink as well. And that's kind of how we've been with, with beer, uh, as well, you know, but for, you know, some of the economic necessity I mentioned to kind of, you know, do some of these like guest beers ourselves, um, you know, with wine, it's always, I think, unlike beer, which, you know, for our farm, our restaurant, our event hall, like beer still in a way kind of has to pay the bills for all those things where with wine, I feel like we'll just have given the volume, um, and, you know, lack of just dependence on it, uh, to, you know, keep our lights on. I, I think we'll be able to do pretty much whatever we want. And, you know, assuming it doesn't, suck and isn't you know repulsive to drink and assuming it can be you know beautiful and fruit forward and you know just just fun fun wines um you know i think it will have a following like i don't want to get to the point where like you know some of the winemaker friends like i'm like oh you know you you have harvest and and, you know then you have this like season where you're extremely busy i'm like what do you do with the rest of your year other than maybe tend to the vineyard and they're like, well, we, we got to be on the road. You know, we got to be like out there, like meeting with merchants and doing tastings and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, I don't want to do that for, for, for wine. So we're going to just keep it, keep it small. And I think, you know, exciting enough for enough people. And frankly, I, I, I do have confidence that, you know, there's enough beer geeks who will like get what we're doing and be excited about it. And enough kind of those kind of curious, maybe, I don't know, um, slightly more adventurous wine drinkers. I mean, probably being stereotypical here, we're probably a younger, a younger wine crowd who will be willing to kind of come out and, you know, uh, who may may already appreciate some of our beers that we'll kind of get into these as well. Well, consider me curious. There's a, there's a lot to look forward to with, uh, with the brewery once you guys get reopened and, uh, a lot of, a lot of new things to taste them. I keep adding yeah. all of these, uh, you know, these these trips in my mind of places I want to go uh, after restrictions are lifted, and you know, once again, Jester King is back on my list. So thanks for, you know, planting those uh, those bugs in my head. But um, thanks oh, for right thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate you your your, your time this afternoon and for yeah, coming John, on and, and for doing this. Always always a pleasure to talk to you. And um, yeah, no, it's been um, you know it's been it's been nice to you know still connect with with, with friends and industry peers, you know, remotely during these, during these times. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm still confident. Well, no, I, I, I've, I don't have great confidence either way. I'm just, I'm hopeful. I should say that, you know, some of these festivals that have been pushed back to the fall, uh, still, still happen. Um, you know, cause I mean, it already feels, you know, painful, uh, uh, and granted, there's great, you know, context is important. There's, there's people sick and dying. So I you know, I want to paint the proper context of here, course. but, 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 but yeah, it is, it is. I mean, it's been painful to me, uh, to, you know, not to get to see, you know, the industry that, you know, been, you know, we've been a part of for a decade, at least not, not to see them in person. You know, it's, it's, that's been, 
I don't know. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been, been, been tough. And, um, I don't know, we've used kind of, yeah, just, I mean, if they, if we weren't allowed to brew, um, that, I think that would be extremely tough. We've kind of just taken solace in the, in the brew house and just kind of focused on, on beer making as, as a way to kind of pass the, pass the time or, you know, waiting for this to hopefully, you know, eventually end. Well, I'll see you out on the road, <laughs> like when. Uh, yeah, no, I'll see you out on the road when when everything gets lifted, and I'll I'll look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, well, yeah, you 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 take care, and yeah, always always uh, enjoy chatting with you. So uh, much appreciated. That's Jeffrey Stuffings of Jester King Brewing, yet another brewery to add to my list of post-pandemic visits. What's on your list? Drop me a line and let me know at either John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And please don't forget to leave a review of the show on your podcast platform of choice. And when you're there, make sure you also subscribe to the Beer Edge podcast, to Steal the Spear, and to the BYO Nano podcast. Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and if you want to advertise on the show, please reach out and just ask me how. And speaking of that, our thanks to this episode's sponsor, Kodo Design, a craft beer branding firm and authors of the new book, Craft Beer Rebranded. Craft Beer Rebranded and its companion workbook are a step-by-step guide to mapping out successful strategy for rebranding your brewery. Based on Kodo's decade of brewing branding experience, this two-book bundle will help you weigh your brand equity, develop your brand strategy, and breathe new life into your brand. Whether your brewery is three years old or 30, Craft Beer Rebranded is your guide to attracting new audiences, selling more beer, and positioning your brand for the long haul. Learn more and buy your copy today at craftbeerrebranded.com. Thanks again to Jeffrey Stuffings and to you for listening. I'm John Hall, and I'll be back next week to drink beer and to think beer, and I hope you'll join me then.